Welcome to Gateway Podcasts. We hope you enjoy the following recording from Gateway Church Doncaster in the United Kingdom. For more podcasts and information about Gateway Church, please visit our website, gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk. Thank you for listening. Okay, a few weeks ago, we looked at storms. Um, and I looked in there, I'll just do a brief recap, um, the many sorts of storms that we all encounter. Normal storms, because the Bible says God makes it rain on the just and the unjust. There's the storms that we run into through our own foolishness or disobedience, and that's what happened to Jonah when he ended up in the whale. There are storms that God sends us to help us grow. Uh, Jesus commanded his disciples to get into a boat and go to the other side of the sea. And he knew a storm was brewing, but he was teaching them a lesson for their development. And we'll look more at that one later today. And there are storms that we get dragged into by other people. And that's where we found the Apostle Paul, which was the main storm that we looked at last time. And we saw how he trusted God in the storm that he was dragged into by other people. Then we also looked last time at the parable of the foolish and the wise builders and looked at what forms the foundation of our life so that when the storm comes, it's tested and that foundation is revealed and it's only through a storm that that gets revealed. We also looked at how we tend to become dependent on laws and formulas to live this life but actually Jesus is calling us to hear and put into practice what we've heard and to have a relationship with him. It's not laws, it's not formulas, it's not, trying to remember the name of one of the books, 77 ways to go the second mile for your wife. It's actually what you do when you've listened to Jesus through that relationship you have with him. It's not facts to be believed, or formulas to be lived, but that relationship. It's trusting in God, not trying, It's faith in God, not formulas. And I spoke at the end about the reason why the Bible doesn't give us steps or formulas. It doesn't give us nitty-gritty details about what goes on in our lives. And that's because we can't control our life. We were actually created to be dependent, not independent. We weren't created to be in control. So let's have a look at the storm that comes and that God sends us for growth. You can find it in Mark 4, starting at verse 35. I'm reading from the ESV, but it will be slightly different in some of your versions. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. And a great windstorm arose. And the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he, that's Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And the disciples woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind 
and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Let's imagine the disciples. The waves were crashing in on them. Sue had a picture like that earlier, of waves crashing in on a boat. The boat was nearly swamped. These men were fishermen. They weren't landlubbers. It was their boat. They were used to storms, but they were actually overwhelmed by this particular storm. Wet, cold, frightened, tossed about, not in control at all. They needed help in the storm and they were frightened by this storm. Imagine Jesus. Just before this, in Matthew's version of the same story, Jesus has healed a leper. Then he's healed the centurion's servant, and only by saying the word, not actually by going and laying hands on him. Then he'd healed Peter's mother-in-law. And he followed that in the evening by casting out demons and healing all who were sick. And the disciples had seen all of this. They'd been with him all day. Unsurprisingly, he'd probably become pretty exhausted by this. He was human like the rest of us. And he probably fell asleep as soon as they got away from the shore. Apparently, because he was still asleep, they had to wake him up. He'd been sleeping all the way, and neither the screaming of the storm, nor the screaming of his men, had woken him up. And he's woken up, and the disciples turn to him and they accuse him. You don't care if we drown. And how often do we do that to Jesus, when the storms hit us? And we say to him, do you care if we drown? Of course, if they drown, he's going to drown too. He's in the boat with them. So common sense alone would say that he is going to care. Sometimes as Christians, we feel that we should be immune to the struggles that others have. That we should be protected from all the hurt and pain that can come people's ways in their lives. And that's why we can also often end up responding with anger and resentment when the storms hit us. Because we see Jesus asleep in the back of the boat while we're struggling with the storm and bailing the water out. And the next thing you know we're saying is, don't you care if we drown? And if the disciples are anything like most of us, and I know this definitely applies to me and I expect probably to many of you. In the storm they worked to save themselves even though Jesus was there with him, with them. They were probably trying to turn the sail, outrun the storm. They probably tried to row through the waves. They must have tried to bail out the boat because it was being swamped. And they did everything they could to save themselves. But Jesus was in the boat with them. And we tend to respond that same way, trying to control our lives, control the storm. But life is too big to be controlled. 
in the Freedom in Christ course, which we've been looking at on a Friday morning a bit back, um, we actually looked at setting goals for our lives. And actually, the only goal that you can set is your relationship with God. Because any other goal that relates to other people, you're not, overall, going to be able to control what happens to that. It's relying on other things. The only goal you can set is your relationship with God in life. You can't control life. You can't control the fact that, oh, this time in five years' time I'll live in a five-bedroom house and have two swanky cars on the drive. Because all sorts of things could come in between you and that goal. That you bring yourself, that other people bring into your lives. Look at people now with a credit crunch, what's happening. Things are so different from maybe even a year ago for people's lives. The disciples knew the theory about Jesus. But clearly did not know Jesus well enough. They heard the words, they saw the works of Jesus. But it had not entered their minds that he could do something about the storm. And they must have assumed that they just had to handle that storm on their own. It was so ingrained in them that they had to do something about it. They had to gain control. And sometimes I think we feel that life is up to us. Jesus is a sleeping theory in the stern of the boat while we get on with our lives. And he's not always the living truth in our life. Jesus doesn't see things quite the same way as his disciples. When he's woken up, he rebukes the storm. And then he rebukes the disciples. And don't forget that list of all that Jesus had done that day. Healed a leper, the centurion's servant, Peter's mother-in-law, casting out demons and healing all the sick who were brought to him. So it's not really surprising that he does turn around and rebuke them for their cowardice and their lack of faith. Why are you so afraid, he says. Why have you still no faith? In other words, he's saying to them, you've heard my words, the claims I've made, the teachings... You've seen my works, the healings that I've done, the demonized people that I've set free. My words and my works should have resulted in faith in your life. What might he say to us? You learn about me. You learn about my words. You learn about my works. Yet you have no faith. You still think life is up to you, that you can handle life's storms, that you have the wisdom and the strength and the energy to be in control of your life. You know me in theory, but do you know me in trust? God is here. God's involved in all our lives. We've sung today the creator of all, the lord of all, sovereign of all, controller of all. God is here. And we want to be in control. We need to trust, not try. Have faith, not formulas. 
the only way to control life is to trust the only one who can control it. I'll say that again. The only way to control life is to trust the only one who can control it. And I want to go back to that parable of the two builders, which was in Matthew 7. Because it gives us insight into how we can keep standing in the storms of life. Because Jesus says, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. We sang in one of the songs that Anna led us in earlier about our ever faithful God and we sang you are the rock on which I stand. In 1 Corinthians 3 verse 11 it says for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Christ Jesus. There is no other foundation. Jesus himself said I am the way the truth and the life and no one comes to the Father except through me. So how do we go about building on that firm foundation? Number one, we need to know the truth. Jesus says the truth will set us free. So we need to hear but we also need to listen and on the practical side, I think this means several things. We have a responsibility to expose ourselves to the truth. We can read the Bible alongside our Heavenly Counselor, Holy Spirit. We can read Christian books and spend time in praise and worship. We can meet with God. We can listen to His Word through His Holy Spirit. We can meet with Christian friends who can teach and instruct us. We can learn from each other. But the touchstone for the truth and our measuring stick has got to be the Word of God. We don't study it to be the most knowledgeable people about the Bible. We study Scripture because we want to know the God that we worship. And as we read this, it's going to inform us and enable us to understand God better. So that we can be deeper and more passionate worshippers of him. And we'll be better equipped. We'll be better equipped to love the world as it needs to be loved. It also means, to know the truth, we need to listen. It's not just enough to hear. We must listen. Anyone who's married knows the difference. Actually, anyone who's got a teenager knows there's a great difference between hearing and listening. And the key to listening... Stop giggling, Owen. <laughs> the key to listening is to interact with the one who's speaking to us. Then they know we've heard. 
best listeners I know are those who ask questions. In other words, they say, what do you mean? So is this saying this? Can you explain that a bit further? And she's not in here now, but Natalie asks amazing questions. And she sends me straight back to here to think, oh, what does it say? And that's brilliant because she's leading me deeper as I'm trying to help her go deeper into a knowledge of God. We need to ask questions when we're reading the word and interacting with God's truth. Have I understood this correctly? Are there any other passages of scripture that teach the same thing to me? Is God warning me of something? Do I need to repent of something? Is this a promise that I can claim? Is this a command that I need to obey? What is this trying to teach me? What kind of response should I be making to this truth that I've learnt? This is so true in many areas of our lives. An athlete needs to listen to their coaches and more experienced players. They usually nowadays watch videos of what they've been doing to see where they've gone wrong. They examine what they're doing. And a craftsman will become an apprentice in order to learn from those who know more. And we have to expose ourselves to the truth if we want to learn what the truth is. second thing though, we must act on the truth. It's not enough to know about God. It's not enough to know what God wants you to do. It's not enough to know how to apply his word. We actually need to do what God wants us to do. I've been reading a book this week about Smith Wigglesworth and he actually is talking about people praying over what the word God tells them to do and he basically says you don't pray over it because if the word says it, you do it. I mean it's the same if you build a house, we're looking at building houses on a rock here. You know how to put up a straight wall, looking at Mark here. You know what the proper weight wire is for a particular wiring job. You know how deep the foundation should go. How far apart studs or supports need to be. But that knowing isn't worth anything if you don't act on it. You can know what it takes to save another person's life. You might have a beautiful first aid certificate hanging up on the wall. But if you don't act on it, what's the point of knowing it? You can know all sorts of things about God. But it won't help if you don't do what he says. You can know that God wants priority in your time. But it's meaningless unless your diary or calendar reflects that. You can know that God wants you to forgive. But actually that won't help unless you let go of the bitterness that you cherish towards another. You can know that God despises the prejudices that this world holds. But actually, unless we're looking past the surface in the lives of others around us, then we're not overcoming those same prejudices. You may know that God wants you to be content with what you have. 
but only when you become satisfied with what you have will you lose that feeling of needing more. The reality we must face is this. There are many, many people who know an awful lot about the Christian faith. But they're building on sand. They look good. They talk good. Appear really religious. They know the truth. They know how to appear Christian. But they may not be doing what God is telling them to do. And to some degree all of us are like this. Every one of us, I know I have, has areas of life where we're not yet applying the truth. We know what God wants us to do, but we just don't do it. Paul writes in Philippians 3, it's, uh, verse 12, he talks about pressing on toward the goal. And he says, not that I have already obtained all this, and he's referring to counting all things a loss compared to knowing Christ. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. I do not yet consider myself to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward the truth, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So the true believer is pressing on towards that goal. Not everything's sorted yet, they've not been made perfect yet, but they're pressing on, they're looking towards the truth. Eliminating those areas where we're not yet applying the truth of the word. And we know that those areas in our lives, they can rob us of our spiritual vitality. And they can weaken our foundation. You need to learn to obey so you can react instinctively then when the storms do come. Who's been on aeroplanes? What do they do at the beginning? Yeah, where are the exits? How to put your life belt on? What to do when the plane crashes? Etc, etc, etc. Now most of us tend to sort of like, oh, they're doing that one again. But if you weren't told in advance and they had to give the instructions as the plane's going, mm, you wouldn't have time to learn. Now you may think, oh, I've been on a plane lots of times. But that's gone into your head somewhere. And if that situation arises, you will know what to do. That's the same with learning and listening to the Word of God. We need to do it before the storm hits us. We won't have the opportunity then to build a foundation. We need to have the foundation done. Because in a storm, a house without a foundation, it's gone. So if we know all this... Why don't more people build on the firm foundation? And I can think of several reasons. First one, laziness. It's so appealing to build on the sand. It's a good location, it's adequate, it's easy. Um, in the parallel passage where it's told in Luke, 
Jesus said, the wise man is like a man building a house who digs down deep and lays the foundation on the rock. And when the flood came, the torrent could not shake the house. Who wants to dig down deep if you don't have to? It takes more energy if you're going to work and build on the rock. It takes a lot more time, a lot more energy, and it costs more. It's going to cost. It's quicker and easier and faster to build on the sand. It's easier to take shortcuts when you build a home. It's cheaper to use lesser materials. And for a while, no one's going to notice. But somewhere along the line, that shoddy workmanship will show up. It's easier to cheat at exams. It's quicker to memorise a list of answers. And the grades will look just as good. Whether you're applying to university or applying for a job, an A-star grade looks brilliant. But someday, someone's going to ask you to express an intelligent thought on your own, and that laziness will be revealed. The same is true in our spiritual lives. It's easy to go along with the crowd. It takes less time and energy if you just maintain that superficial faith. And frankly, most of the time, who can tell the difference? It's easier to show up for church an hour a week and then ignore your spiritual roots for the rest of the week. It's easier to talk about caring for others than to really care. It's easier to talk about sharing your faith than it is to build those bridges with others. It's easier to talk about commitment than to be committed. So laziness is one reason why that firm foundation isn't being built. The second reason for not building on the rock is short-sightedness. Not the glasses sort, but the eternal sort. The problem when you build on the sand is you're not looking beyond the present. No thought to what lies ahead. Living for the moment, choosing what they want because that suits right now. Not saving money. Not protecting your health. Not building relationships while there's time. I think it's M. Scott Peck who talks about people not saying on their deathbeds, I wish I'd spent more time at the office. Spend more time with your family, with your friends. Short-sighted people don't consider the consequences of any moral choices that they may make. They live for the moment. And through all this are unprepared for any difficult times that may come. And that's the same in the spiritual realm as it is in this world. People are short-sighted. They focus on everything that's here and now. Give no thought to eternity. They invest no time in developing their strong roots, their firm foundations, or in laying up treasures in heaven. Jesus told a parable about this in Luke. Luke 12. I'm reading the message version because I think it sounds brilliant. Jesus told them this story. The farm of a certain rich man produced a terrific crop. And he talked to himself. What can I do? My barn isn't big enough for this harvest. And he said, here's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll gather in all my grain and goods and I'll say to myself, self, you've done well. 
you've got it made and you can now retire. Take it easy and have the time of your life. Just then, God showed up and said, Fool, tonight you die. And your barn full of good, who gets it? And that's what happens when you fill your barn with self and not with God. People believe they have lots of time to deal with eternal matters, so I'll deal with that later. But being prepared for eternity and having a solid relationship with God now makes it possible to enjoy this present life all the more. And when the storms blow, they wonder why God seems far away. Final reason can be naivety. People really believe that things will not happen to them. They're never going to have to deal with a crisis or a tragedy, loss or financial stress. They tend not to realise that things could happen in the next moment and life could change drastically. A car accident, a fire, an unexpected pregnancy, a job layoff, physical problem, heart attack, stroke or some other problem. They can come into our lives at any time we're not in control. We seldom see them coming, but they turn life upside down when they arrive. That knowledge, going back to the airplane thing, that knowledge about Jesus needs to become trust in Jesus through the storms. Once we've got that in, it will be there instinctively at the time when the storm hits. Isaiah says, the Lord will be the firm and sure foundation for your times. being hit by the full force of a major thing in your life you need somewhere safe you need somewhere where you know you will be safe from the storm that is coming your way or is battering you there is such a place in Proverbs 18.10 it says the name of the Lord is a strong tower and the righteous run into it and they are safe and that Lord is the ultimate controller of everything in the universe that he has made. And when you're in a close love relationship with that awesome God, you can call on him in the darkest and most desperate of times that come your way. And you will be safe. And millions have had that same experience with Jesus. But maybe you haven't. And David talked earlier about having a vital relationship with Jesus. Do you have that in your life? The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's saved as in rescued. Jesus' name means Jehovah God rescues. And that's all because... He died in your place on the cross and then he rose from the dead. It's not just history. It's personal. It's for you. Jesus is ready to be for you what the Bible promises that he will be. An anchor for the soul. Firm and secure. 
maybe you've been through enough storms. You've lost so many things that you were counting on. And you know how much you need that firm and secure anchor in your life. You know, someone who loved you enough to die for you is never going to do you wrong. Someone who's powerful enough to walk out of his own grave under his own power is bigger than anything that's come your way. But you do have to call on him, as the Bible says. You need him to save you, to rescue you from your separation from God, from your sin. Something like this. Jesus, I can't do this life without you. I cannot. I have no chance after this life without you. You died for me, so I could belong to you. And I want to belong to you from this day on. Jesus is God's strong tower. And if you call out to him, then you will be safe. Paul says in Romans that he can win through any bombardment for one reason. He says, I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, you can look straight at those waves that are crashing over the bow and you can say, in the terms of the old song, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And you can say to those waves, Jesus loves me, I have a firm anchor, I am secure. God is bigger than anything else that's coming our way. If your life anchors anything else or anyone else, then those waves are ultimately going to swamp you. And they're going to take what you've been hanging on to. And God's master plan is to make each and every one of us as much like Jesus as we can possibly become. And actually, in the stormy seas, that's the time when you can say, I'm going to ride this wave. I'm going to ride this wave because it's going to make me more like Jesus. I'm going to grow through this storm that's come into my life. God wouldn't let it hit you unless it could be for his glory and your good and your growth. And it may be that you're not sure you belong to him. That you've never turned your life over to the man who gave his life for yourself. Then you need to speak to someone today. Don't leave it. Speak to someone today and ask them, what do I do? How can I know this man? If you belong to Jesus Christ, when, when life's crushing waves come in on you, the Son of God will be there beside you. And he'll probably be asleep in the stern, on a cushion, because he knows that that boat that you're in with him is unsinkable. Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. 
Therefore we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. God is our strength and our refuge. The storm comes, strips us of our self-reliance, takes away our ability to control, takes away our ability to contribute anything to a solution. And that's actually an exciting place to be. Because it means it's going to have to be totally God. And we mustn't fight that. It was only after Job went through that awful season of suffering and loss that he could say to God, My ears had heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. I'm going to finish by just talking about eagles. We all know about the eagle and it sits on a ledge, waits, the breeze comes, takes it. Wait on God, wait patiently for the Lord. But one of the other amazing facts about eagles is what they do when there's a storm coming. Most birds sense the storm is coming and they head for cover. But not the eagle. (laughs) He sits on the edge of his nest, waiting for the storm to come. And when it does, he locks his wings into a position that help him to ascend. And he uses the storm's strong winds to spiral him up and up and up. And ultimately, he'll see sunlight above that storm. He rides the storm until he rises above the storm. You can meet Jesus and touch Jesus and experience Jesus in a storm as nowhere else. And if you surrender to those winds of God's mighty grace, you'll eventually be able to look down on the storm that was holding you down. Because you'll be looking at it from God's perspective. And flying higher than you've ever flown before. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Don't forget to visit gatewaychurchdoncaster.org.uk 